Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Bhavna Mutha. She is a clinical consultant pharmacist and is board certified in MTM as well as several other uh, board certifications. So welcome to the podcast, Bhavna. Thank you so much, Eric. I am very excited and honored to share my time with you on this podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine because we're going to kind of hit on something here that's a little bit different for pharmacists. So uh, recently there's, or in the newer level of kind of board certification, there's board certification at MTM. And I've done a few episodes recently that really focus on the care that pharmacists gives and how we need to start focusing on quality and freeing us up to make better interventions in healthcare, which is basically what MTM does. So as someone who's board certified in several areas, but specifically in MTM, I'm sure you agree, with the current trends we're seeing and, you know, budgets being tight everywhere to the pandemic and kind of knowing and realizing pharmacists can be better utilized as we're seeing several states pass bills with that. Do you think that there's there's a need that we have to help distinguish pharmacists who work in the community who are good at things like this and making these interventions in the same way we do in hospitals and ambulatory care settings? Oh, absolutely, Eric. That's a great, great question. And I'm going to go 100% full on. Yes, that kind of distinction is very, very necessary. So I'm going to come back to some statistics as we had discussed about talking on this podcast today. We have currently 321,700 pharmacies total serving in the United States. It's expected that 3% will decline by 2029. 90% of them are the workforce in retail doing vaccines. 72% dispense naloxone. 83% provide medication assistance and financial coupons uh, assistance to the patients. 67% is medication therapy management. And of course, 36% co-trace people are pharmacists who monitor diabetes and hypertension, which are of course the chronic diseases. And pharmacists in the retails representing the largest workforce, I absolutely believe that this kind of certification definitely gives them an edge to roll into the clinical role uh, as and when in the process of dispensing. And this whole service changes, has a paradigm shift from being product-centric to patient-centric. So yes, that distinction is definitely necessary and call for the hour. What are some, as someone who is board certified, what's an example of something that you've kind of seen where you're now seeing it because of the credentialing status that you had to learn, educate yourself on, and take different approaches as to you didn't see that maybe beforehand or because you didn't have the experience on your time to, to kind of, like, you have more experience now and have learned more. So, like, why, what are you seeing that's different as opposed to previously? This is a great question, Eric. And uh, I've been in the field for almost 20 years, and I represent being a foreign grad. So I had a multifaceted mindset when it came to practicing medicine. My journey with medication therapy started when it was introduced in the United States. Uh, I think it was year of 2006, 2007. So back then we used to make home calls. I have visited to patient homes, you know, trying to do the medication therapy management. After that, I was in retail for a long time and I had a, you know, patient counseling has been an asset to me. That was always my priority. But um, after 15 years, when I take this board certification for medication therapy management, I'm going to just put it simply that it was like a reset button to my clinical mindset, the way I processed information. There is so much of abundance when it comes to drugs. There's evolution, new data, new 
clinical pearls that come out. So this helped me get that together with the board certification. And of course, the mindset is very different. It was top notch, but it just adds more skill. And when you're doing medication therapy management, having that knowledge at your fingertips makes a huge difference in execution. Because when you're in the patient setting or you're talking to the phone, you have very little time to go back and research and, and look up the resources to come up with something ideal uh, in terms of discussion with the patient. So this board certification definitely gives me an edge to have that knowledge at the fingertips. In, a, in addition to this, I've done board certified medical affairs specialist program as well. And that's just the, the nerdy me, you know, who likes to complete <laughs> the whole pharmacy profession from drug making, you know, knowing everything about the clinical trials to, to drug taking where we are facing the patient. So that's why I have those. And the latest one I have is pharmacist drug therapy modification license for the state of Georgia. And this confidence comes to me from my board certification as an MTM pharmacist because it just leverages so much more potential that I have within me and the confidence to talk to the physicians when doing chronic care management uh, in, in practice with internal medicine or family practice. So that's my personal journey and my personal experience with this particular certification. Yeah, and you know, as someone who currently works retail pharmacy or community pharmacy, I think that something like this is also huge. And you hit on a major point there. It kind of refreshes some stuff, right? So make sure that we're up to date. I think that unfortunately we've all seen the person who maybe didn't keep up with their CE or skip through some of it more than we would appreciate. So it's kind of making sure to kind of check somebody to, that they're up to date as how it works in a setting that is kind of like where they work, right? So since we have board certified, you know, oncology specialists, uh, you know, dyslipidemia specialists, like you name it, right? You know, it's kind of good mm -hmm. to have somebody who is, if you will, like the counseling and retail level expert and kind of set them apart a little bit because really we, we need those people to make interventions. We don't just, you know, we shouldn't be able to just plug anybody in a retail pharmacy setting because there's a lot of pharmacists I know who would not thrive in that environment. So having somebody who will and ensuring that they're of the highest quality or of quality enough to pass a board certification test with this is super important in my eyes as well. So um, thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And we've got we've gotten great response uh, from people who have taken the exams um, in developing the entire exam. You know, we keep keep in our mind, you know, what should be a mindset of a clinical pharmacist? How and what kind of questions do you use to approach and have the patient open up, you know, uh, motivational interviewing skills, pharmacogenetic applications, which is, of course, futuristic. Uh, all of this encompasses into this board certification. So definitely, um, I think it will give you an edge onto a different level. Yeah, we've had pharmacogenomics a few times on this podcast, and it is one of those things that looks fairly promising going forward here, especially as computers get faster and faster. So as we kind of see more specialties for pharmacists, especially things like board certified, what have you, do you think that this really helps kind of get us to that status for providers, get us to that level of provider status so that we can help better demonstrate our knowledge and skill sets for people? Do you think something like this is key to that saying like, look, we have all these specialties all over, like we are extra trained on top of having doctorate degrees now, like this is why we are providers? Oh, that's a great question, Eric. That's like a nail in the head for my current ongoing scenarios. It is a hot topic. It is a hot timing and it will be a hot happening 
is what I look at uh, when it comes to provider status. Definitely, this is a need of an hour. The pharmacists, of course, are underutilized resources in the pool. When it comes to medication knowledge, you know, the nurses, the PAs, the doctors in the pool have their own setting of experiences and expertise, um, but there is no beating what the knowledge the pharmacist has. Have you ever heard in the retail, you practice in retail that, uh, oh my God, you know more than my doctors do. And where is this coming exactly from the patient? It's not just a matter of the knowledge, but the amount of time you spend with that particular patient in that setting is what touches that patient. The doctors and the other people in the pool will provide that time, but you know they are so overburdened with so many different tasks. Um, evaluation and management gets you know most of their time utilized. So I think there is no other competition to the pharmacist you know, having a big role to play in the provider status. In fact, yesterday I was reading uh, an article by APHA CEO Scott Knorr, and he's he's putting it on their public health infrastructure building process. Yeah. Um, so I vouch for provider status big time, and we have modeled and developed some program to help the pharmacists create the ripple effect and uh, show that the partnership between the physician and the pharmacist is something to root for. Imagine a physician having a pharmacist who's able to do 70% work prior and 30% work after in between the visits. You know, it, it, it is gonna unload the physician in terms of a lot of things and, and the pharmacist will augment exactly what was delivered to the patient. So you got the right person here. I'm a big voucher for <laughs> uh, you know provider status. And I have a feeling that sooner or later this will be happening. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there of really, I know I've said that a few times, but where we can really make that impact of before and after care with with another provider like a physician and make those follow up to help share the notes and help kind of complete the circle on care. So it's not just you're walking out of the office and then you're going out, living your life, then coming back. And there's we have more of those touch points in between there. We can talk to people and have that discussion. We might know them for longer it just kind of depends, you know, if we have seen some physicians obviously move offices around me pretty recently. So it's something I feel like that they kind of lean on us a little more because they have had to change providers. So I think that's one thing that we can really kind of encompass with them and we can see things too. And this is totally irrelevant to some of the things that we're talking about in this podcast, but I've actually had patients who are getting stuff like Lipitor and other medications. And then they're coming through my drive-thru with a, like an open container in their car. And I'm like, hey, like you, you can't be drinking a whole lot and like doing that sort of thing. One, for legal purposes, but two, <laughs> two, like it's not good on your liver. And you're taking all these medications that could process like that. Have you talked to your doctor about this? And, you know, I obviously am very soft-handed when I have that conversation. Like I try and really interject myself as like, hey, here's a teaching moment. Or if I see someone smoking who's on three different inhalers, it's the same same way basically. And just kind of those friendly reminders, those nudges, if you will, along the way, it might not always be what the person wants, but it's something that we can help if they eventually catch on and realize, hey, these people are all saying the same thing. That's something we can have a big impact with, with their overall health, their well-being, disease, cancer prevention, you name it. And sometimes it might be a thing that, you know, the physician didn't see in the office or didn't smell the smoke when they came in, but we saw it in kind of like the more quote unquote real world setting, if you will. Has there been an experience like that with you? Oh, absolutely. If you um, have me open up my experiences for retail setting, you know, I could write a book on that. Uh, you and me both. Lately, you know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And retail is the face. I enjoyed it a lot because I enjoy patient interaction to the fullest. You know, that is the, the time where you're going to bring everything inside you 
you know, out. You know, it's like a person who cooks and doesn't serve the dinner doesn't make sense, right? So as pharmacists, we are full of knowledge and this is the time where you bring that dinner out. So you bring that knowledge out to share with the patient. A couple examples I can tell you, you know, this is one of the one of the uh, setting that I talk about was counseling covered in pharmacy times. Uh, what is the value of life? You know, there was a pregnant pharmacy in the aisle of shopping. And something caught my attention. I paid attention to her. Something didn't seem right. And I put everything on hold, uh, put my technician into charge, ran into the aisle. And she was absolutely about to pass out. You know, I had to hold her hand, bring her into the counseling area, prop her feet up, make her sit onto the chair and get her blood pressure checked. And of course, the numbers didn't surprise me. Um, I was able to call her husband, um, you know, ran through the store, ransacking, looking <laughs> for Gatorade and have her chunk down the entire, you know, more than half the bottle. What is the value of life? There were two lives involved in here. You know, had I not seen her, had she fallen onto the face into that particular aisle, what was the cost of hospitalization coming out of this particular, um, you know, situation? He, of course, thanked, thanked me for that. Another example, patient was non-compliant to some patches, and um, I was checking this patient out at cash register, and he started having symptoms. I don't know if it was stroke or a heart attack, and he started shaking with slurred speech, and, um, and you know, even before he could tell me the story why he's not buying the patches, they're expensive, they're not on formulary, I had to just open it up, right up, you know, and just have him uh, apply the patch until he stabilized. Uh, of course, it was not in the moment right away, but had to call his wife to come into the store, get him and make sure that he reached home safely. Uh, another example of a patient who was walking to the store, you know, my topmost patient was hypoxic and she just didn't look like herself. And I'm like, something's off. My boss was doing inventory along my side and we had to call 911 on this particular patient. She had pulmonary hypoxia at that moment. Um, of course, you know, four or five days later, she comes back that it was a life-saving intervention for her. So just talking about retail, just see the amount of, of stuff in terms of consultation and action, but there is no consideration of dollar returns here, you know. Yeah. Uh, what is the value of life is what's shown in the retail. So as my, you know, journey and path to provider status continues, you know, like, I'm working with a physician who highly respects pharmacists in the pool. Um, this is as recent as last three months, you know, where I was able to dedicate some time on research and reading a paper and put a patient whose triglycerides are not coming to normal levels, looking at the labs. And, you know, we added some supplements in addition to uh, her medications that, like phenofibrate and stuff like that. And of course, you know, the doctors don't have the time to read the latest papers or articles or evidence-based medications sometimes. After three months, we do the blood work on this particular patient. And to our surprise, the numbers looked amazing. Everything seemed in control. So if you're able to do this kind of intervention and support the doctors, I think uh, the bill that's in the house should be looked at seriously and our value should be put together in terms of pharmacists into the entire pool. They call it as qualified healthcare professional, QHCP. Pharmacist is the only name that's not included in that team. You know, you have yeah. your physical therapists, PAs, your nurses, your doctors. Why not pharmacists? You know, medications are the most important things for any patient's life. And so I think this is high time now. And with APHA's push, you know, I am supporting that as well. 
Yeah, and you hit on a few key things there. Uh, one, I do love that friend of the podcast and CEO of APHA, Scott Kenor, really called it public health infrastructure, kind of playing on a trend we're seeing in some other legislation. But I think that's really huge when you look at something, as you mentioned, like pregnancy, right? And I'm not going to kind of dive into your specific case, but I work in a very minority, low-income area, and we have a lot of people who are always asking questions about prenatal vitamins. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I am in no way incentivized or pushed to other than say, hey, here's a prenatal, here you go. Uh, but you okay. actually sit down and having that conversation about, you know, basic food and diet, things to eat and avoid. I'm not saying go super crazy, but what I know as a pharmacist and is well within my scope, you know, going over those things, going over some of the nutrition, some other vitamins, maybe getting them something that's a little bit higher in folic acid or iron that's prescription only, which honestly is really just a fancy vitamin, but I can get it covered by their health insurance and they could see us really providing that level to their patient who needs it because they are pregnant, right? Like that's a discussion we can easily have and address for them and then hopefully help, you know, get them followed up with an OB if they don't already have one. So definitely that public health infrastructure point you hit on is huge. I think I mentioned on the podcast before, kind of like you did with the patient, you kind of almost had like emergency rescue. I had a patient go who was an AFib come in. I caught it when I checked her pulse and her blood pressure and I was like, oh my God, you're definitely an AFib. And her family came in and thanked me, but you know, there was, unfortunately, there's no incentive for me to do that other than just say, you know, being a good person and being like, hey, you should probably go to the ER. In fact, I actually had to call the ambulance myself and tell her and be like, no, you're not leaving here until, you know, you go to the ER because you are definitely have a immediate uh, health emergency going on right now because she just wanted to get some stomach meds and, and leave because she was nauseous. So that's, again, another thing that having us out there in some of these more rural areas or heck, even in cities where people are scared to, you know, make some of these decisions, that's huge. Like we provide that access of care. And then I have another thing you alluded to here that at least reminded me of it is is Stu Beatty, the former guest on the podcast. He's a big advocate of you don't have to necessarily be a resident to be a provider or have to have gone through a residency. And look how many times have pharmacists come in and we see a a SIG from a physician in the prescription that says, teach patient how to use inhaler because the physician themselves may not know when it comes to some of these respimat formats. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's huge because if you're not physically using it right you're not getting the medication so then what the hell is the point of it all which goes back to your point of retail of, yes we are providers mtm showing people how to use inhalers is literally the definition of what we do in it in all encompassing in something like a board certified mtm pharmacist yes absolutely i totally agree with you right there from utilizing the inhalers to utilizing the insulin pens de-prescribing medications you know talk about the opioid crisis that we are facing today the utilization of proton pump inhibitors, you know, yep. in my MTM setting, I might have talked to thousands and thousands of patients so far. And the answer you hear from them is like, oh, how, how long you've been on the proton pump inhibitor? Uh, something like four to five years now. Um, so what do you take this for? I take it because my doctor gives it to me. That's <laughs> the answer you will hear back. And, um, and so that kind of literacy in terms of how much medication you take and how much is necessary because anything that's going into the body has to be processed by somebody, Some somebody yeah. like liver or kidney has to work on it. It always comes with a price tag, some form of side effects. So that kind of education itself is going to be so helpful, which we can do in terms of medication therapy management being in the field for so, so long. I really call for the evolutionization of the program, you know, how it's contracted with the vendors, yeah. uh, how the process can sometimes become a hindrance to the progress of the actual CMR delivery. That's where I'm looking at um, 
in terms of delivering the service because you're you're providing this service in terms uh, of telehealth with COVID scenarios. There are good points sometimes I see, you know, one of the patients I was talking to, we did the entire talk about their, you know, medication. And in the end, when I talk about exercise, the patient tells me that she walks from trailer point A to point B and in her trailer, that's her form of exercise. So the great thing here with telehealth is, you know, it left me no room for judgment to perceive or see what the patient or what the socioeconomic background is, but to impact fully with my knowledge. So I call for evolutionization of the MTM program. We need a paradigm shift in how the process will lead to the bottom line of care and really help us deliver, uh, you know, into preventing the CMS dollars from being wasted. You know, every impact and every intervention counts. Um, and I think that is moving the needle into a direction for chronic care management, transitional care management, where the uptake of clinical knowledge you have is much, much higher. So that's my thought process of looking into what's the future like for MTM. Yeah, you hit on a few things there. And one I kind of do want to just straight out ask you is, you know, obviously face to face makes a huge difference. Knowing your patient is the whole key here. Do you think that remote doing MTM, which we've seen a lot of people kind of step their game up in the pandemic, is the best way? Or do you think that once we kind of shift post-COVID, if you will, that getting back to the in-person is really what we need to focus on? So this is a great question. And with my experience in both the settings, you know, I've, I've seen the pluses of both and the cons of both as well. You know, But I think remote gives you a large capability to reach to those pockets or vulnerable populations who would otherwise not get those services because of, you know, SDOH, social determinants, you know, of health issues where they don't have housing security, food security, transportation, all of those things, you know. So telehealth is a very potent tool to reach to those people, you know. I wish we could do vaccines via telehealth. That's not (laughs) an option right now, but... Um, the way CDC and the federal government is targeting on getting our people vaccinated, uh, you know, I think remote is a great option. You know, just a year ago, if I had to convince my employer that I'm going to do remote work, they wouldn't be convinced. But yeah. now with COVID, millions and millions of population is open to remote setting of work. Uh, IT industry, health industry, we all have adapted to this. So I think that is the future. It is here to stay. Um, face-to-face, of course, you know, needs a little bit more preparation. It's like, I have to make an appointment. I have to go and see this person. This is my particular time. There are no shows. And so what's coming back is larger in terms of capital and cost invested as against what we do through retail. Uh, We save that kind of, you know, capital and cost investment. So I think telehealth is a way to go. Okay, gotcha. I just wanted to kind of ask your opinion of it because it's interesting that we've seen kind of different dynamics in that kind of play out, especially in the past year where it really became uh, split with COVID hitting us. But, you know, one thing that I do want to ask is, again, when we start seeing people who are more of people who are getting certified in MTM and other practices, and then we start seeing the specialization of pharmacy a little bit with all these different board certifications, do you see a program like a state Medicaid program that 
obviously is very dependent on people taking their medications right to keep them out of the hospital, to keep costs down and all the things that we talked about, but also incentivized to maybe not give someone as much medication to really optimize it. Do you see them possibly reimbursing someone who's board certified better because they know they have that training and they have that level of expectation and that experience to really optimize medications for people while also getting them to take it? Uh, I definitely see that, you know, we always progress and we always fall forward in terms of progress, right? Yeah. Um, so as we're trying to move towards the provider, Apache provider status, you know, Medicaid and Medicare are the ones to lead the lead the whole decision in that direction. You know, many times people on Medicaid do not have co-pays. And um, so what's given to them is going to be taken and taken and taken and not questioned, you know. Sometimes it may be detrimental to them, so um, which which can lead to severe side effects and hospitalization, which comes back and costs them that money. It's coming from their budget. So I definitely see that once you know there, it's proven that the board certified pharmacists are so so capable, so underutilized resources, and even if they were investing, you know, say certain amount of dollars, the return of investment with MTM is proven between eight to $12 per encounter, then just put it together for chronic care management or traditional care management services, it's gonna be so much larger. So I think futures here, and I think definitely um, this, this might happen in future. Uh, as a visionary, that's where I think this is going. Yeah, and I think that's a good call out there of, of kind of what you're saying is the investment in it because we've seen through numerous studies now that the cost of poor altered medication adherence costs the U.S. roughly $600 billion a year, if I remember the number correctly, which obviously we're going to hit some major financial barriers in the future. If you have to, you know, I won't throw a number out here, but just spend $100 million to save $2 billion, then that's a pretty good investment. And if you're looking at that, obviously with a much bigger number here, so you spend a little more and get even a bigger return, that's huge. I'm sure there's a break-even point where you won't get any more benefit once you spend or do more things on it. But Because there's always going to be some level of poor altered adherence. But it's one of those things that it's like low-hanging fruit. If we can change that, we can change spending on healthcare overall. And that could be just a game changer for a lot of these states' budgets or even the federal government's budget when they're trying to kind of shore things up, if you will, after this COVID question. So I think that's a great call out for you. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's like the theory of conservation. You know, when there's yeah. shortage of water, what is the first instinct the human will have? You know, conserve water. So it's it's conserving that, that dispense of those Medicaid prescriptions where there is no necessity to do, do that. Or... Um, the amount of patients going into hospital because of hypoglycemic episodes, you know, um, overprescribing is also a definite problem. Prescribing cascade is something that we see. And uh, in terms of Medicaid, you know, I think that would be a very good place to start and see, you know, where these overprescribed medications are leading to hospitalizations or um, not having optimal outcomes because of, you know, you will see that the patients will just pay for it zero copay 50 cents and and they will keep on taking those medications which might be sometimes not necessary at all yeah they're not necessarily financially incentivized through copay structure with most medicaid programs so i think that's a good target to really to really dive into because the incentives can be a little different there uh, mm -hmm. moving on to some of the questions i ask everyone who comes on the podcast if you could change one thing about pharmacy that isn't a law what would you change Oh my God, that's a great question, Eric. If I really, really was capable to make that change, uh, coming back from retail setting, you know, which is which represents the highest workforce, 
It is the phase for a patient to evolutionize the role to the highest clinical endpoints and more focus on bottom line outcomes. I think I would want to bring the essence of care, trust, and humanity, make it alive, as against what we are all dealing with is metrics, numbers, and power play. Um, I really think you know retail should reflect those. The conditions that we read everywhere lately, you know, are not safe for pharmacists. Yeah. If I was given all the power and um, if I had the capability to bring that humanity and soul back to work, Eric, I would do that in a heartbeat. That that is a need of time. I've experienced it myself in in many more aspects where we're just churning numbers and metrics, and I. I would love to change that into the value of humanity and care and compassion. Uh, healthcare should represent that more than anything else. Yeah, and I know that's the business side of it. And there is obviously dollars have to be watched and tracked, as we kind of alluded to earlier with that. But I don't think anybody went to pharmacy school because they're like, oh, yeah, I want to chase metrics. Like, that's not, that's not what we went there for. So that's a good call out. Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate that, too, because I've seen that as well. If you could change one law or make one law in pharmacy, federal or state, what would it be and why? As another one, you know, um, I would just love to take a take on that. Uh, I would change a federal law, you know. So when we're talking about uh, provider status and stuff like that, I always envision that everything we do goes and works on standardization, right? And when you're talking about standardization, why don't we have that kind of standardization in terms of healthcare and laws for pharmacists? As I was reading the state laws for all 50 different states in terms of collaborative <laughs> practice agreement, it took me a good eight to 10 hours. You know, my eyes were ready to pop out reading at every state's, you know, expectations and stuff like that. So if I were given that capability and authority to make a federal law and start the provider status on those grounds, because if anything, COVID has taught us that we have united to fight against COVID. Yeah. All states had to come under one umbrella and function under that umbrella. So it teaches us the necessity of that standardization on the top level and executing it down to all the states. It becomes easier for people who are following that law and rules and regulations and guidelines and policies and procedures because it's all, you know, it's all uniform. It's not that, you know, this state doesn't do that and that state does that and this state doesn't do that. Um, so that's where I would go. You know, people who are sitting into those top positions uh, trying to make some policy suggestions for, you know, provider status for pharmacists. I think let it come from federal, you know, let it go trickle down across all the states very uniformly. So that's what I have my take on. Yeah, pharmacy in each state is not uniform, as I'm sure every listener knows here. If if you're in Ohio, we have some laws that can be a little wonky. Um, some are good. Some aren't as great. Uh, then we have some in other states that I know, like Texas and New York, when it comes to Medicaid or contr uh, prescribing controlled substances and either the paper they have to be on or if they have to be e-scribe. And there's so many other things that just play out that are like nuanced differences but can really be a legal headache for us that yeah i think that anything that can make uniformity to the profession would be awesome so that when we're measuring things we can measure kind of with the same measuring stick of the impact that we had because the impact in you know ohio or california or washington or florida can be drastically different just depending on what they're allowed to do so that makes a huge difference in what you're actually measuring then <laughs> It's so very well uh, understood. Like, let's put an example to this. In retail setting, when you practice, I'm practicing in Georgia, you're practicing in your state. 
And let's just talk about one drug like gabapentin. Yeah. I call this as a control drug in my state, and you don't call that as a control state in your state, a control drug in your state. It doesn't make you know sense to me sometimes because it's going into the same human body. You know, the human body is not different at all. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think you know revamping things, changing things according to our current times. You know, everything is uh, needs to be agile. The change needs to come faster. Uh, COVID did not give us time to think. You know, we all had to adapt and we all had to fight. And currently, you know, I'm from India. I'm reading the news every single day. It breaks my heart. And um, so I think having those kind of easier regulations, laws, policies, procedures makes it much more easier to execute in, in crisis like today's crisis. So um, that's that's what I think we should definitely look into and make it happen. Yeah, some sort of level of professional judgment call always needs to kind of be added to these because so many times it's black and white. As pharmacists, we love black and white. Like, that's what we do, right? We read guidelines. It falls on this level, we give this. Uh, but having that more gray area and we can make a call and, like, allowing us to do that and to use our logic is oftentimes where we make the right call for people. And it can be a game-changing call. So I think that that's, that's huge for what you're describing there. So, hey, Bhavna, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I really hope people enjoyed it. Where can they find you and find some of these new MTM things that are coming out with board certification? Great. So thank you again, you know, Eric. This entire discussion was so powered, and I really enjoyed every bit of it. You know, it, it helped me put my uh, authentic, honest views out here today. So thank you for inviting me. As far as finding me, um, I do have my personal website, www.bhavnamutha.com. I reflect everything about me on the the website. In terms of um, the MTM certification program, um, NBMTM website has all the information, resources needed, um, everything that anybody needs to know in terms of uh, the syllabus, the, the structure of the exam, they should find it on to www.nbmtm.org. And for people who are not, you know, that much into finding the website, LinkedIn is my to-go place. Okay. I'll make sure to include your website and the other stuff in the show notes for listeners if they want to find you or reach out. So just so you guys can dive more into this if you want, because I think that Bhavna is a great resource for some of this and a, a great advocate for pharmacy and MTM in general. So again, thanks for coming on the podcast, Bhavna. Thank you so much, Eric, and you have a wonderful rest of the day. You as well. And listeners, hey, if you can, I think it's important to share things like this just so we can get some different perspectives and discussions on pharmacy and because some of the things we talked about here are currently being debated in the halls of Congress. So the more we can share this and people can hear it, I think the more of a, a voice and a chance we have of getting providers status passed so we can make a difference in people's lives. I don't want to say once again, but in, in a bigger way. So as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.